I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmot. He's David Todd, and we are coming off a very exciting couple of days in Pirates baseball between all the trades that have taken place in the past 48 hours and A.J. Burnett's one-hitter of the Cubs last night, taking a no-hitter into the eighth inning. David, you called this game the best game that A.J. Burnett has ever pitched. Yeah, I mean, I posted it on the on the site, the article, and let's let's define that. It's not the most important game A.J. Burnett ever pitched, but it was an important game for the Pirates last night. And, you know, so in, the con- in that context, if you just want to look at it empirically, and this is just one formula. It's Bill James's formula called Game Score, but it stands up pretty well. It really does. Uh, and I went back and looked at every, every start A.J. Burnett has made in his career, and it is actually the highest game score he's ever had. Now, it, it factors in, obviously, runs, innings pitched, hits allowed, walks, uh, you know, everything else that would be that you might think would impact a starting pitcher. Uh, the interesting thing is A.J. Burnett's highest score so far this season was 76, and he registered in this game uh, a game score of 91. And if you look back at his history, he's had some games in the high 80s. His, his no-hitter actually only registered in 85 because he walked nine batters in that game. So just interesting to see in that context. And I'll tell you, just on a personal level, Charlie, I was uh, listening to the game in the car, and I got someplace where I could watch it in the fifth inning. So I got to see uh, the end of the fourth and from there on. And, you know, obviously we have rooting interest in the team and want to see guys, guys perform well. But I don't know that I've wanted to see something happen in any baseball game, but in particular a pirate baseball game. I'm not sure I've wanted to see something happen as much as I wanted to see A.J. get the no-hitter last night in a long time. Since, you know, since I was a kid and we're talking, I mean, I think I'd probably go back to 92, uh, clearly wanting to win that game seven. But, uh, you know, then it takes me back to kind of, you know, the 70s even. I was really, really rooting for A.J. to get the no-hitter last night because, because of everything he's meant and because of how well he pitched. I, I agree. I mean, because aside from, you know, a couple of sort of shaky plays in the seventh inning and then in the eighth inning when he gave up the line drive single to Cardenas, he was cruising. And, you know, watching the game, it, it looked like it seemed to me like it was much more difficult to watch the game than it actually was for him to pitch it because uh, it was uncomfortable. I, I wanted it to happen so badly that that it was uncomfortable. And I felt sort of a perverse sense of relief when he finally allowed the hit in the eighth inning because it, it was difficult to watch. I mean, you, you were waiting for at least the hit was a legitimate hit. You know, at least it was a line drive and not, you know, some infield single or on a good something pitch. like that. On a good pitch. Yeah. So and AJ had the curveball going. Uh, I mean, you know, I, we obviously felt many of the same things. It was amusing. It, I'm not sure that's the perfect word, but when I'm sure everybody who watched it on television saw this, but if you didn't, AJ threw the pitch, uh, the left-handed batter Cardenas hit it into, into right field, and as the ball bounced in front of uh, Snyder, I guess, playing in right field, AJ turned to the home plate, turned to home plate, and dismissively <laughs> threw his hand up in the air basically saying to the umpire, you screwed me on that strike three call on the last pitch that he didn't get, which was a borderline call, and he got some borderline calls. And he addressed that in the postgame interview and said, you know, you get some, you don't get some. But, uh, you know, you could tell he wanted it. And one of the things I think Pirate fans have come to like so much about A.J. Burnett is his openness about being fond of being in Pittsburgh, the fun he's having, 
and you just see the competitive fire. I, and, I, you know, it's all those things. Walking, And we see it in Jason Grilly, too, and it's another reason I'm such a big fan of his, mm-hmm. is walking off the mound with his fist in the air or, you know, just showing the emotion that it means something to you. And I think, you know, just to compare and contrast, and we talk about it, we've seen more of that from Andrew McCutcheon this year. Uh, but, you know, fans like to see that players care about winning. And when you see somebody like Jose Tabata, and I don't mean to pick on Jose Tabata, but it, it is something that is addressed. When you see guys kind of go through the what appears to be going through the motions and i don't want to suggest that jose tabata doesn't care but fans you know viscerally enjoy the you know the fist pumping and, and the excitement and the zoltan stuff uh that goes on and and that's uh that's something you can relate to yeah uh, it, it was it was um certainly interesting to see that on display last night i think what what burnett might have said to the the umpire was something like throw a bleeping strike or a, a call a bleeping strike yeah, uh, and then there was like this stream mound, of obscenities as he walked off the mound. When he walked off the mound, he got 20 of those in. So uh, it, it was entertaining. It's a good win. You know, there's no question now as we look at the team, who the leader of the staff is. Uh, it's A.J. Burnett, Burnett and, and, his, uh, and his orchestra, basically. And hopefully somebody else can step up and, and have a couple good starts in a row. Uh, they'll go out after it again today, this afternoon, very shortly with Jeff Carson's on the hill. Wasn't so good his last time out, and so now he's been kind of uh, back and forth since he got off the disabled list and we'll see what we'll see what uh, Wandy does in his next start but starting pitching is a question mark here and Charlie you know we, we go to the trade deadline yesterday there's been a lot written and a lot said and we've done a lot of the the saying and the and the writing uh, a starting pitcher wasn't added but they they did go out and get their starting pitcher in Wandy early in the week they added Chad Qualls on a minor deal at right at the deadline but the deal I guess that you have you, you're going to speak to with the host of the blog Blue Jays Banter and, and that Bluebird Banter yeah excuse me Bluebird Banter is the deal for for Snyder Travis Snyder and and Brad Lincoln is the piece that went to Toronto what are your reactions to that deal I think it's a great deal that can that has the potential to help the Pirates this year. If it's a gamble that if it goes well could end up paying dividends for the Pirates down the stretch. It could also pay much bigger dividends in the future. So I, I like that Neil Huntington has both addressed the future of the organization while uh, acknowledging that he's in the midst of a uh, of a pennant race. There's been a lot of complaining that that the Pirates didn't go out and, and look for somebody who is more of a bigger name, but is maybe more of a short-term addition, like like a Hunter Pence or a Shinsu Chu. But if you look in the particular case of somebody like Pence, I think Pence is a very overrated player. I think the, the Giants gave up a lot more to get him. And, you know, you're looking at paying him potentially something like, I think it's going to be something like 13 or $14 million next year for a player who's really not worth that kind of money. And and there haven't been a lot of there weren't a lot of impact bats that ended up getting traded this year. And I think this is an important point. We we looked at the, at the end of the day at the deadline, and the people who have been complaining about what Neil Huntington did are complaining that the Pirates didn't do enough. Dan Kovacevic titled an article: "Management's not all in." Effectively uh, playing on Clint Hurdle's phrase, Headley didn't get traded. Chu didn't get traded. Uh, a lot of these guys at the end of the day, Justin Upton obviously didn't get traded, are guys who were discussed and nobody was able to pry them from their team for the right price. So, you know, I think it's – well, I think, Charlie, you and I come down in the same place on this. There is a point where we feel like uh, – you know, my stance has been all along here. This is the third best team in the division. I still think it here on August 1st. I think they're about – 
uh, you know, at best a 50% chance to make the playoffs. And I don't, you know, once you get in the playoffs, certainly anything can happen, but it's not the strongest starting rotation to carry you through deep into the playoffs, you would think. But to make a big push to make the playoffs here and impact what now looks like a very solid organization in 2013 and maybe even more so in 2014 doesn't seem to make any sense. No, I, I don't think it. I don't think it does either. I think it's a a, a very sort of short term strategy, and I, I think that you, you do it, and it, you know, there's a potential that you, of course, that you acquire someone like Hunter Pence, and it still doesn't work out because Hunter Pence isn't that great of a player. And then and let's not overlook the fact that Hunter Pence is due fourteen million dollars next year, and right. not only does that that's going to impact who you add to your team next year. Right. And, and so I, I think that, you know, ultimately you make a move like that and then you end up regretting it potentially over the next two years because of something like that. And, you know, if you look at, a, you know, a lot of organizations, uh, well, I mean, in particular, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't make these kinds of like huge deadline moves because they know that, that they're trying to build something lasting. And, and I think that, that it's not as if Neil Huntington did nothing. You know, he, he acquired Wandy Rodriguez as a good starting pitcher with a, a, you know, a big name and a good reputation. And he acquired all these other guys. Um, so I, I feel like he addressed the team this year and he did it in a way that, that doesn't kill them in the future. And that, that's exactly yeah, what I would have wanted him to do. And I, I laugh at people killing him for making the statement of, you know, is the team better now? And he said, well, we'll see over the next two months. What do you want the guy to say? We're much better. We're not better. I mean, he gave the most honest answer. You'll see. Evaluate, evaluate my work when the season's over. Uh, you know, why? everybody wants to rush to judgment. Was it a good trade or a bad trade? And as we all know, everybody's allowed to have an opinion, and certainly we express ours. But we're not going to know the answer for two months, and we won't know the answer on uh, the Snyder-Lincoln trade for two or three years. But you understand what he was trying to do, and he gave a very forthright, candid answer. And, I, you know, I just – it seems like it seems like some people in the media want to want to attack the front office at times like this because it uh, they maybe get more clicks on their articles articles or whatever. The the foundation of the argument does not seem very well thought out. I'm I'm not sure that that it's it's that calculated that that people are are trying to do things to get clicks. But I think that you know the inclination they're thinking as fans in a lot of ways. I mean they're they're thinking as as people with the shortest term goals in mind. I mean. It's hard to have arguments with people who, when the Pirates trade Drew Sutton to the the Rays, they freak out about a, a player who, you know, might have helped the Pirates as if Drew Sutton hasn't been through six organizations. Or you know, when it's when it's before the season and we're having arguments about how important it is that the, the Pirates call up Matt Haig when every possible indicator says that Matt Haig is a role player at best. There there are people who are who are and whatever. This sounds kind of straw manny. But there are people who are are always kind of thinking with the the shortest possible frame of mind. Is that straw Manny Sangian? <laughs> I think I just made up a word. Yes, I like but, it. But it's we're, a pirate's word. We're gonna call it straw straw Manny Sangian <laughs> from now on. I think we'll I, somebody's got to somebody's got to get that going on Bucks dugout. That's straw Manny Sangian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, let, let's look at the other trade just for a second. I, I mean, I think we've dissected what what Lincoln Lincoln does. Uh, the other two trades. Gabby Sanchez is a guy that uh, 
His numbers in 2010 and 11 were, were reasonably good. He's going to be a platoon with Jones. I think the McGee trade for Qualls, I think the Pirates did Casey McGee the same favor they did Drew Sutton. Casey McGee, they, they feel like they upgraded the position. And on the post I did with the game score, I linked to an article on fan graphs. And I, I, you know, I, I don't often think that guys really uh, break it down reasonably well. But I thought the guy on fan graphs, the article he wrote, thinking about what Sanchez brings, it's a little bit of a, a roll the dice on a, on a higher up side guy than McGee. He's certainly cost controlled. It, it does the Pirates a, a big favor in terms of money. McGee was never going to get paid the $3 million that he's going to earn next year with the Pirates. He was going to be non-tendered. So you, you've got Sanchez for a couple more years, and, and you, there's a little bit more upside there. So uh, it all seems to make sense to me. Qualls is kind of a throw-in. If he if he's able to be effective, uh, an effective sinker ball pitcher here, he'll help, but he'll probably get a very short audition if things aren't going well. And, and uh, you know, it seems, it seems pretty straightforward. This is not, I mean, there is a little bit of the future here in, in Sanchez and hope he reverts to form, but now we're playing on the fringe of the roster, fringes of the roster here, and it's not particularly significant one way or the other that's right i would say qualls is totally irrelevant i mean they the pirates just basically took him back i i think uh, as a way of of getting rid of of mcgee and uh doing doing right by him as somebody pointed out a favor here because texas new york actually needs a guy with Teixeira and a rod injured i mean mcgee may get actually get a chance to play for a couple weeks start at third base so it, it does do them, him a favor, and, uh, you know, I think the Yankees will remember it, and the Pirates, you know, the Pirates, again, as they did Drew Sutton, it, it, uh, it's just, it, I think it reflects favorably on the organization. Yeah, that, that I'm fine with that. Given that the Sanchez trade took place, I'm fine with the McGee trade. What I and I, and I I do agree that Sanchez is an upgrade on on McGee. I just don't know that he's much of one. And you know, it, it basically says most of what you need to know that it's a 28 year old player that the Pirates acquired, and he's going to be a bench player. Basically, he's gonna he's gonna play against lefties, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that, and he's gonna bat clean up today in his first game in a Pirates. Right, that's right. He's making his making his Pirates debut today. And and that's fine. You can acquire a player like that, and and that's fine. And and you know, hope that he recovers some of his former self, and then maybe you could take him to arbitration at reasonable rates a couple of times. Yeah, well, right. And you go to spring training, and just like you know, just like Jose Tabata and Sanchez, and they're going to be other guys on the on the team. They're going to be battling for Alex Presley. They're going to be battling for roster spots in spring training. And, you know, Sanchez is now another guy to be in that mix, and, and that's fine. And hopefully he can contribute here in the last, you know, 57, 58 games, whatever it is, 59 games that, that uh, the Pirates have left the rest of the way. That's right. The, the, the issue I have with it is, it, uh, again, the draft pick. And I, I know that, you know, the number 33 overall pick is not necessarily worth a whole lot in itself. But I looked this up. Look, here's a list of, of some players who have been drafted in that basic range in the past 10 years or so. David Wright was drafted at number 38, Joey Votto at 44, Adam Jones at 37, Gio Gonzalez at 38, Aaron Rowan at 35, Adam Wainwright at 29. I mean, it's possible to get star players in, in that range of the draft. It's not likely, but it's possible. And when you add in the fact that under the new system, the Pirates can use could have used the, new, the, the money associated with that pick to... Uh, you know, add to a bonus of of another player, perhaps somebody they pick earlier in the draft. I, I don't like losing losing draft picks for what appear to be what appears to be a role player. I couldn't agree more on that point. I think here's the point. I would here's how I would encourage pirate fans to look at it. Is let's say now they don't have the draft pick. Okay, so let's say next year they go in the draft and at number nine they face a similar situation that they would face uh, that they faced this year with Mark Appel. Mm-hmm. 
let's say they draft a signable high school senior, uh, excuse me, college senior, and he's signable for $250,000, which essentially means you're punting the draft pick, okay? They draft you, me, or Mo, and, and uh, they punt the draft pick, and they just sign some guy for $250,000 who would be a, an eighth-round pick in terms of talent level. Well, what's the, what that means is then you have $1.25 million to allocate to your draft pool everywhere else. You've signed a guy in that pick. You've punted the pick. But if you, you know, which is the same as trading the pick, but you have an extra, you know, whatever, however much you want to allocate of that 1.5 million, however much you sign that guy for. Maybe you sign a guy for a hundred thousand dollars. Who knows? Whatever, pick the number you want. That's the same as effectively trading the pick, but you don't have the million four to allocate to your draft pool. So I do think it's a much bigger deal than maybe the media has led on. And you pointed it out last night and talked about it. And I, I think it's right. That's how I would look at the loss of that. They, they've lost a million four from their draft pool next year. And that's not insignificant. I mean, you. you saw that uh, Lance McCullers, for example, signed for, um, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but a million, a million and a half more than than what his draft pool was. He saw Lucas Giolito sign for about a million more than than what his his pick value was. So you can really use those those million dollars for something if you need to. Right. And so what that is, Charlie, is that means you sign. Let's say you sign number nine for slot. You can go nuts on a Lucas Giolito at you know, let's say the Pirates have the 18th pick or the 22nd pick or whatever you want to make it up to be, you can go nuts and get that guy signed. So, you know, the question is, is Gabby Sanchez worth, uh, you know, I, I hate to say Lucas Giolito because he's not worth Lucas Giolito, but somebody who might might have fallen the draft for injury concern or whatever, who would sign for the extra $750,000 or, you know, a guy later in the draft in the sixth round or the eighth round will sign for an extra $500,000. Yeah, I think that's a significant thing. And I'd like to, you know, if I had one question to ask Neil Huntington, it wouldn't be about any of the trades. It would be about that. And that's now, and so just so people know, the, these compensatory picks will only be able to be moved during the regular season in a certain amount of window. They're not allowed to be traded after the season. And you can only trade the compensatory picks. So only these 10 picks can move, and they can't move once they've been moved. So one of them went earlier in the, uh, in the, off, uh, in the trade deadline. I think the Tigers traded their pick. And so the, the Pirates are the second team to do that. So you, it's not, in my mind, even though the value uh, from a uh, just put it on on the on the blackboard type of thing is a million five. I think in terms of how how you can use that to acquire talent is much greater than that million five. Right. Exactly. I, exactly. They're they're giving up on on flexibility. That might not mean a whole lot depending on how things turn out next year. But it might, and and I, I hate to give up on that, especially since as we we've, we've just discussed, um, you know the the draft is the Pirates' primary means of acquiring star talent, and they need star talent. If they get guys like Gabby Sanchez in their system, that's great. But if they don't, they can always add them in free agency or through other means. It's hard to get star players. So Charlie, let's uh, we haven't touched on Brad Lincoln, so let's touch on him for a second. Uh, give me your thoughts. I assume Anthopoulos is going to give him a try in the offseason to be a starter one more time. At least that's what I would do. I, I'm sure that down the stretch, he'll, they'll primarily use him as a reliever. And we'll get into that. You will get into that more with uh, from the guy from Blue Jays Banter. Uh, did I get it wrong again? <laughs> yeah, you did. That's okay. T- what is it? Tom what? Dakers. Bluebirdbanter.com. Bluebird banter. <laughs> All right, over two. Uh, but uh, give me your thoughts on Lincoln and how you how you view him when he was a pirate and what you how you would expect uh, the Blue Jays to use him going forward. I think this year has shown pretty conclusively that he's not going to be a starter, and you, you never want to you never want to say never, especially with pitchers because they're they're strange strange beasts. 
But I, th- I think we've seen pretty clearly this year that he's not a starter right now, and he's 27 years old. He's had lots of chances to establish himself as one, and it hasn't happened. So I think what you're basically looking at is a reliever. And you're potentially looking at a very, very good reliever, a potential shutdown reliever, perhaps a closer. And that you know certainly has valuable. It certainly has value for for the Jays. But we've seen over and over that teams can find you know if they're if they're creative and smart, they can find these kinds of, of relievers in other ways. And that relievers generally have short short shelf lives. They don't always, but they generally do. So what the Pirates are getting is a 24 year old player who I don't think the Blue Jays have traded uh, have have treated very very well in terms of his his development. Um, and who still has the upside of a star. And, you know, I'll take uh, an everyday player with the upside of a star above, you know, Brad Lincoln, who I think is a reliever in the long term. Charlie, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i a little, I'm just, I would give Lincoln one more chance next year. I loved his last start when, you know, again, mm-hmm. you hate to point to guys making changes in the delivery or mechanical things. His last start was very good, and he has been dominant out of the pen. The issue, pen, the issue for him, obviously, is having two pitches as opposed to three big pitches. When, when he comes out of the pen, the 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball is a plus pitch. It's a 70 75 pitch on the on the scout scale the curveball is a plus pitch but he doesn't really have a third pitch and i guess as a starter when that fastball sits 92 93 and even though the curve can have the bite it's tougher to go through so i mean in the long run if i were going to guess i think you're 100 percent right i certainly would take him to spring training with the thought that with him full well knowing look we're going to give you a try to start but our inclination is have you be our eighth inning or possibly our ninth inning guy huntington has shown as you said a an ability to find guys. Uh, the pirate system is stocked with guys who aren't far away. Victor Black's not more than, you know, at most two years away. Uh, Duke Welker's probably less than that. Brian Morris is certainly less than that, maybe a month away. You call up Brian Morris right now, and I think he would do fine. Yeah. And so, and, you know, even though we've had a little bit of a, a bump in the road for Tony Watson and maybe a tad of a bump in the road for Jared Hughes, I think the, the, I think the pirates bullpen uh, is fully stocked, and I, I was surprised how how eager it seemed to be. Neil Huntington would, was out speaking about getting a bullpen arm. I'm really surprised, but I guess you know at this point he doesn't want to go to those guys in the in the pennant race. And if you want to say one place experience and nerves may show, maybe it's coming out of the pen. I'm not willing to completely buy that, but if I'll, I'll give the, I'll give that more credence than than any other part of the game. Uh, I do have to give a, a little shout out to one of the the posters on on the post when on the uh, on the game score thread where I put up a couple comments. Uh, Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, a Kentucky pirate, uh, had it. You'll love this, Charlie. He had a comment. They were talking about Chad Qualls and one of the posters earlier had said, Chad Qualls made an adjustment on his mechanical delivery and he thinks he's figured things out. And Kentucky pirates response was, yeah, the mechanical issue was that when the ball was coming out of his hand, the hand was attached to an arm that was attached to Chad Qualls. (laughs) (laughs) If he just changes the the arm and the body, then it, it the mechanics suddenly work work perfectly. Yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're I think we're uh, I think we're on the on the same page on all of this, and and things uh, we'll see how things play out over the last sixty games. Let's. Uh, I just want to ask you one other thing, and you know, I've got uh, we we all have our guys that maybe we like more than others, and and we also have a couple guys maybe we like less than others, and I've got an irrational fondness for Chris Larue. And the Pirates started him last night in, in Indianapolis, and he pitched well. And he went, I think, six innings and gave up a couple runs and struck out five or six. And I'm now going to uh, proffer the idea to you that Chris LaRue 
is the guy who might actually come up and get those spot starts in August and certainly could be a guy who is added to this. We saw Daniel McCutcheon get opted, sent back to AAA today when everybody finally showed up, and I was a little confused yesterday I was, as I was watching the Steelers as to who had reported and who hadn't. But there are no open spots on a 40-man roster. But am I, am I smoking crack here thinking Chris LaRue could be a guy that the Pirates turn to in August? You know, I'm not quite as obsessed with, with Chris LaRue as you are, but I, I like him a lot more than most people do as well. Um, I don't know what his stuff is like as a starter. I know that, I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I think that he can be a very good reliever to him, and it's been a little bit baffling to me that he hasn't gotten more of a shot and that he got through waivers recently because it, it seems to me that pretty much every indication at this point is saying that he can at least be a good reliever. I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be a starter with them, but I would like to get, I would like to see him get a shot on the staff somewhere, especially since, you know, the, the bullpen has been downgraded a bit with, with the departure of Brad Lincoln. Any concerns about uh, Kevin Correa being on the team now? Do you keep him around? Do you, I mean, I, you know, there's value for the Pirates. Or he, they owe him a million bucks. You need him as a, as a guy just in case, right? I mean, there's no point in DFAing him. His attitude's not that bad, is it? I, I, don't, I don't know, but, but my inclination as an outsider would be to keep him around. And, you know, if, if it does become a problem, you can, you can let him go. It's, it's not really that big a deal. But in the meantime, he provides insurance in the rotation. He provides the ability in the bullpen to get through a few innings in case the starter has a bad day. Maybe he doesn't get through them as well as you might like, but, um, but he does have some value to the team right now. Well, that's where we are. The Pirates have split with Chicago in the first two games, and about, uh, about an hour from now they'll play the third game, have the day off, and then a huge series with the Cincinnati Reds. And, boy, it's tough to think the Reds aren't right now uh, at least the co-favorite in the National League, and they're going to be getting back Joey Votto. Uh, there was a lot of hope among Pirate fans that with the loss of Votto for three weeks or so that the Reds would go into a tailspin, and instead I think they've reeled off about— I think they can't lose. Yeah, 15-2 and two or something in their last 17. So, you know, the Pirates went 8-2 and two in their, in, over a 10-game stretch and lost a game to the Reds. So it tells you how well they're playing. Um, after the after the flip, we are going to hear Tom Dakers of BluebirdBanter.com give his take on the Travis Snyder deal. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm here with Tom Dakers of BluebirdBanter.com, here to discuss the Travis Snyder trade. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks. Uh, when, I, when I wrote to you yesterday and asked you to come on and talk about Snyder, you said, sure, I'm pretty sure I'll be finished crying by then. Uh, is that, that it, are, you, are, are there still tears? <laughs> well, really, Travis has been like my favorite guy for probably five or six years now. So yeah, I, I'm still I'm still sad to see him go. I'm I'm getting to the point where I can understand that we got a good player back and stuff, but but yeah, I miss him. Yeah. I, I actually was wearing my Snyder shirt around yesterday and I was surprised at the number of people that said, Hey, why are you wearing his shirt? He's traded, you know, stuff like that. So so the news is out. Can you comment on on how the Blue Jays chose to develop him. I ask because you look at his stat line and, and the amount of time he spent in the minors versus the amount of time he spent in the majors, it really looks like he's been jerked around between AAA and the majors for a really long time. Would you say that, that the way they've developed him has been has been the best way? <laughs> no, no, it's not been the best way, that's for sure. Yeah, jerked around is probably, probably a pretty good uh, description. 
They probably brought him up a little young. He was only 20 his first time up with the team, but he did hit well. And then uh, by the next year, um, we had uh, manager Cito Gaston back. And Cito and Travis didn't get along. There was there was uh, either a personality conflict or something there. It's not the first time that Cito's had a problem with a, a young, potentially good outfielder. Cito's first little trip with the Blue Jays, he he didn't like uh, John Allrude, and he didn't like Sean Green. And what he didn't like was that they hit to the opposite field a lot. Cito believes that the batter should go up looking for a pitch to pull and pull it, and which is good for a lot of guys, but for some some guys go do better when they go with the pitch. And I think I think Snyder's one of those. I think his power to the opposite field is probably as good as as his pull power. So I think a lot of people would probably see that as an asset. Yeah. You know, for some players, Cito was great, hey, eh? you know, because he did take uh, Jose Batista and he turned him into a pure pole hitter. Uh, Batista hit like 54 home runs the other year and only one of them was to the opposite field. Mm. And, you know, it, worked, it works well with some, some players and with some it doesn't. If you uh, if you read uh, Sean Green's autobiography, he has some you know nasty things to say about Cito that uh, he was told by Cito that he couldn't hit without uh, the hitting coach. He couldn't couldn't take batting practice without the hitting coach there to watch because Cito wanted him just pulling it all the time. And um, it's it's funny. Cito had a lot of good points. This one. You know, it, it seems funny to me, but, you know, he was very successful as a manager, so who am I to say? With that in mind, what what's your view of Snyder's offensive potential? He he, he could really be good. I, I think he could be like a 25-30 home run hitter. He could hit in the, you know, high two, 280s, 290s, something like that. He strikes out more than you'd like. And I think he'll always strike out more than you like. But then home run hitters do. He does, he'll take walks too. He's got reasonable speed, you know, and he and he's a really good defensive outfielder. So I, I think you've got a good player. It may take a year. I I kept hoping that the Blue Jays would put him in, you know, put him in the lineup, let him get 500 at bats, and just let him get comfortable. But it seemed like every time they brought him up. He was worried that, you know, if he went 0 for 4, he'd be back down in the minors. And generally, if he did go 0 for 4, he was back down in the minors. It wasn't just a word. It was real life for the guy. I mean, it seems strange to me that especially now in the, in the past couple of years, you have Alex Anthopoulos, who is just generally seems like a very good GM, allowing that to happen. It would seem that, you know, especially because the Jays haven't always been you know, haven't been a bad team, but haven't always been a contending team in that time, that, that Anthopoulos would see that it would be smart to go ahead and give Snyder a full full season's worth of at bats. Yeah, I don't get that either. I really thought I really thought that when Cito retired, I thought, aha, this is the year they're going to let him let him have his 500 at bats, and and we'll get to see what he can do. Because you know, if you give a guy 50 at bats here, send him back down, 100 at bats there, send him back down, you really don't get a 
a view of whether he's in a slump or whether this is what he does. But we still don't seem to have patience, which kind of bothers me because my favorite teams in the, you know, in the, my life of watching baseball have always been the ones that had a little patience with players and would, would trust their evaluations of them, would say, yep, this is our guy, and then would leave him there until he proved their evaluation right or wrong. We haven't done that yet. Um, John, John Farrell, our new manager, seems to have no patience, really. You know, we call up a, call up a minor leaguer to go in the pen. He gets in a game. He's bad. He sits in the pen for two weeks. He gets in another game. He's bad. And he's sent back to the minors. And it doesn't seem to be, it's not the way I'd like to run a railroad, personally. You've talked about. You said that that uh, Snyder is a good uh, defensive outfielder. What what makes him a good defensive outfielder? Um, when he first came up, we heard that he was going to end up being a DH. His you know his body type looks like he's not going to be a guy that's fast. And we were told, oh, you know, one day he'll be at first base or DH or one of those. But he's really worked hard on his defense. And he's really worked hard on his speed, and he's he, he's the best left fielder we saw this year. We've <laughs> had had some pretty lousy left fielders in the last couple of years. Um, I saw saw he played right field for you. He's fine in right field. His arm is good enough. Even played center field for us for a number of games last year, and he didn't look out of place there. He gets good reads on the ball. He goes in a direct line with the ball. He'll he'll be good. You'll you'll like watching him on defense. My I guess my impression uh, going back to when he was drafted was basically the like like what you just said that this is a guy who's going to be a first baseman. He doesn't he's not very athletic. But then watching uh, tape of him since then, it's it's become clear to me that that's not really actually the case at all. That he's not exactly a speed demon or anything like that. But he looks like a competent outfielder and he's not unathletic. No, he isn't. He isn't at all, and and that was what we were told when he was coming up. So, I don't know if it's that he may he did make a change. Actually, it's fair because when he first came up, he didn't look that good in the outfield. But he seems to have done a good job of listening to what people have said as you know negatives and tried to turn them into positives. Like he didn't take walks very much when he first came up. And yet the last couple of years, especially in the minors, he's, he's been taking taking walks. And, you know, he was they talked about he didn't have speed. The last couple of years he started, so he had nine stolen bases last year. And he was only only up with Toronto for 50 games or something like that. So 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 he's he's surprising. Do, do the wrist issues he's had recently concern you regarding his development going forward? Yeah, that that's the one thing he's had. He's had a wrist injury each of the last two years. He missed, I'm not sure, about a month this year in uh, AAA because of the wrist. And it probably cost him getting called up this year, too, because at the time, there, uh, when we went into spring training, the, the team said there was going to be a competition for left field between him and Eric Thames. Thames played played left field for us last year and he was okay you know he was pretty pretty much average across the board his defense wasn't great but anyway they went into spring training saying there was a competition but there wasn't they gave the job to Thames 
and things didn't look good. After about a month, they tired of them, and maybe at that time, at, at when they they tired of them, uh, we had Raji Davis as a fourth outfielder, and he had a little hot streak, and they went with a hot hand for a little while. But when his hot streak kind of ran out, uh, Snyder was on the on the DL with this wrist injury, and it's you know it's happened two years in a row now, so. So that that does worry me because you know it's hard to hard to hit a ball hard with a sore wrist. Uh, finally, AJ Burnett, Burnett is in the midst of a resurgent season with uh, the Pirates. Pitched a one hitter last night against the Cubs. Took a no hitter into the eighth inning. Does his resurgence with the Pirates surprise you as someone who got to watch him for several years in Toronto? No, it, it really doesn't at all. I I I liked him when he was a Blue Jay. I don't know what happened to him and with the Yankees. I think, you know, he, he had a few bad starts and the fans got on him and he's, he is a interesting personality type. And I can imagine that if I, I, I think negative feedback probably hurts him more than maybe the average player. And he just couldn't seem to get out of the spiral with the Yankees, but, but no, he, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think you've got a really good, I think you got a really good picture there for a few years now. Well, Tom, thanks for thanks for coming on and helping us sort this out as as uh, we try to figure out what all happened here at the the trade deadline. We really appreciate your input. You're you're welcome. And if you get a chance, follow uh, Snyder on uh, Twitter. He he's a real foodie. He loves he likes burgers, know, right? And likes meat. Yeah, he loves meat, steak. Yeah, he loves and uh, and he's a really good, apparently really good cook. So he'll. He, he talks about it a lot. He, he occasionally talks about how he'd like to open a restaurant someday. So, huh? Well, well, maybe in Pittsburgh if all goes well. <laughs> yeah. That's Tom Dakers. You can read Tom's work at BluebirdBanter.com. That's SB Nation's Blue Jays site. You can follow me on Twitter at BucksDugout. Follow David Todd on Twitter at DT on Pirates. Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast. 